I'll be reading 11 verses in Philippians 1, the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Jesus Christ in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart." insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense, till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And you may be seated. Happy New Year. New Year's Day is a time where we... Uh, very typically reflect on the passing of the past 365 days, and it's almost always accompanied by a certain level of anticipation with the next 365 days. The fascination of the end of one year and the beginning of the new has very long been a part of our society. There's something about standing on the threshold of a new year that intrigues us, and we have varied and multiple feelings as we do that. We usually feel a bit of anxiety, especially as we look ahead as we meditate on the unknown. The way ahead is untried, untrodden. It has not been walked before. And as we stand on the threshold of a new year, we tend to think about trials that we may face, trials of courage or trials of patience, trials of strength and faith, and then conversely, we look backward as well. The experiences that we've had in 2021. It's a year that we probably, some of us for sure, will not soon forget. Some of us have laid to rest loved ones. Some of us have experienced great joy of having um, new birth in our family, new life born, a baby. <clears throat> Along with that, there's the condition of our society. And that has 
in some ways caused us anxiety, perhaps. In some cases, financial struggles have been a part of 2021. And still others of us have had great prosperity in the past little while. Some of us have had struggles with our health. Perhaps it was a child's health or a relative's health. And even now, sitting here in the auditorium under the sound of my voice this morning, some of you are in relatively ill health because of some condition that you've been dealing with in these past 300 plus days. These experiences are all behind us now, though. And in many ways, there is almost nothing that we can do about them. And as we got together on New Year's Eve and we thought about commitments and the making of commitments and looking forward to the next 12 months, 2021, our thoughts are generally in the line of starting over and writing a clean slate and letting the bygones be bygones and learning from them as much as possible and applying the lessons that were learned, learned to the next year. It holds for all of us kind of a specialness and a, um, a fascination that I think we will not ever completely understand on this side of eternity. There's two basic reasons, I think, why we're enamored with the future, with the unknown. Fascination is number one. We're fascinated as human beings, we are fascinated by the unknown. It's just woven into our fabric. We want to, we're curious about what is ahead. We're curious about what we can't figure out. We, especially some of us, maybe more than others, want to figure out what is unknown to us. For instance, there is no longer any continent in the world that has not been explored. Huge amounts of money have been spent to explore space or the depths of the ocean. Man has probably gone about as far into the earth as possible and as far out as possible with the technologies that we currently have. Man has been to the moon and back. Great effort and energy is expended to the study of the unknown. We have this incurable curiosity with the future. We're fascinated by it. Who of us in the last few days has not had dreams about the future, about the year 2021? Who of us have not had thoughts about goals or things that we'd like to see happen or accomplish in the next 12 months? We guess, we estimate, we speculate about what the next year may bring our way. It's kind of like the artist who was asked about his best painting. And he said, his best painting is his next one. Probably many of us would share that optimism. It's the next thing that we'll be doing that will help us realize some of what we've been working for, 
that will give us pleasure and fulfillment, that will put us on a different level of, of perhaps even a higher level of faith with God. It's the next thing. But all of us, if we're completely honest, we're not only fascinated by the future, but there's a certain amount of fear that we face as well. What hides behind the mountains of 2022? What lurks behind the Sundays and Mondays of these next 52 weeks? What lies ahead for our family, for our church, for my job, our business, for our school? What lies ahead for our political system in the next 365 days? What unexpected crisis might I face in 2022? And these two emotions, fear and fascination, they affect us. They don't need to dominate us, thankfully, but it's emotions that we feel when we turn the calendar from one year to the next. As I prepared for this sermon on this second day of January 2022, my mind was drawn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And I'd like to um, preach from this passage here this morning. I would like to um, talk about numerous things that I see, especially in the first uh, number of verses. But I'd like to especially highlight verses 9 to 11, and that comes uh, toward the end of the sermon. I've entitled the sermon, A Prayer for the New Year. Throughout this passage, in um, the entirety of it, we see a theme of fellowship, a theme of community. Uh, we can see Paul's heart for the church at Philippi. The story of, it, of their beginning was, is recorded in Acts chapter 16. There was some dramatic and some amazing events that took place pretty much in rapid succession there in Acts 16. And it was the start of the Philippian church. And Paul is writing this perhaps 15 to 20 years later, I don't know for sure, but he is now in prison in Rome. This is one of his prison epistles. He is writing to his friends at Philippi. And I think in these verses here before us here today in the text, we can see Paul reflecting back. We can see numerous references to things that have transpired, things that he treasures in his memory. And then at the same time, I can see Paul looking ahead. I can see Paul laying out uh, aspirations that he has for himself personally and for the church at Philippi. I can see him looking ahead to the future. And I want to point out several of those things as we go through the sermon today. Ideas that can inspire us. Goals and aspirations for 2022. And as I preach, I, I guess I may as well just say that numerous of my personal thoughts are going to be reflected here today.
Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. As I read these opening verses from Paul to the friends, to his brethren, he calls them saints at Philippi, there's, um, I'm, I'm just struck with the eloquence and the concise language that Paul uses as he describes his relationship to them. The deep feelings of attachment that he feels. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for connections that we have, that I have. And I think as I reflect on the past and as I ponder the next months, I think it is through the connections that we have as believers, the connections that we have and the connections that we have had that motivate us and guide us, give us a light for our future, give us confidence for the next 12 months. The word fellowship is used in verse 5 of our text today, and that word simply means to have in common. That's basically what it means. It, it, it draws attention to the fact that there, we have much more, or there are many more things that we are alike than unalike. And that's true for us here at Weavertown. We are much more alike than unalike. And I think it's important for us to draw, to think about that. It's easy for us to think to the negative and think about how different we are. And those differences can become barriers. But I think we should train ourselves to think about how much more alike we are than unalike. And fellowship, especially Christian fellowship, is much more than sharing a cup of coffee with a friend. Christian fellowship is more than exchanging gifts this time of the year. Christian fellowship is more than sharing a good round of golf or some game with a person. Fellowship, Christian fellowship, means that there are things that we have in common. And for Christian fellowship, it means especially that we have eternal life that we possess in our minds and in our hearts. We're aware of that common experience of, of uh, shared um, spiritual life, spiritual goals that we share with each other. And unless a person has experienced and trusted Christ as his Savior, un unless we've taken that step, there is, there, there is just very little chance that we can actually experience the fellowship of the gospel that is talked about in chapter 1, verse 5. Christian fellowship is more than having our name on a church roll. It's more than being present at a series of meetings or a seminar or a church service like this morning. And you know, as well as I do, that it is entirely possible to be close to a person physically, but to be miles apart spiritually. The joy of fellowship that Paul is describing here is actually quite opposite than that. He was miles and miles away from them in a Roman prison. But he describes the fellowship and the connection that he had with these believers as something that far transcends geographical distance. And that's what I would like to lift up here this morning. The spiritual closeness and the fellowship that they felt 
with Paul and that Paul felt toward them was something that was real and satisfying. It's also remarkable that Paul, as he's thinking here in these verses, he's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about himself. And I'm a little behind here in my slides. He is not thinking about himself. It talks to me about the attitude of humility that needs to be present. For fellowship to be good, there needs to be, there must be an attitude of fellowship and humility. An attitude of humility must be present in order for fellowship to be realized and experienced. I want you to especially notice in verse 1, Paul refers to himself as a servant. That word is actually slave. He sees himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that this letter that he's writing is addressed to saints. These were people that were alive. They were not people that were dead a hundred years. These were saints that lived at Philippi, that were alive at Philippi. And he, as the servant, is addressing the saints. I think way too often... I think way too often it's thought of as Paul being the leader would be the saint. And the people that he's writing to are the servants. I'm in rejection of that thought. Paul's got it right. The servant is addressing the saints. And then there's this atmosphere of unity. Notice in verse 1. If the attitude of fellowship is to be humility, I think the atmosphere that fellowship, that Christian fellowship happens is one of unity. And I'm especially thinking about the word that's laid there, that's, that's pointed out there. He says, and, I, and I'm doing this at the risk of making this verse walk on all fours. He says that he is addressing as the servant of Jesus Christ to the saints in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. And there you see the word with. The saints with the bishops and deacons. And I think it's instructive. It's a powerful concept that I want to learn more about. The word with. Now, it's important. One of the teachings of the New Testament is for a church local churches to have leaders. But it's just as important for leaders to lead in a way that is with the followers. It's important for the followers and the leaders to have this concept of working with each other. I've seen it where the leaders are so far ahead of the followers that the followers think of the leaders as the enemy. And then there's the other extreme, I think, where the leaders are so anonymous where they shrug off responsibility to the point where some leaders seem to play it cool, as it were, and their identity is so submerged 
to the point where it seems as if the tail wags the dog. I think it is far more demanding, and it takes much more time, and it's much more involving, and it's a much harder model to, to follow, a much harder model to, to meet. It's much more demanding to lead in a way that is with. And that is true whether or not you are a pastor. And that, that, same, that same attitude, that same model applies to a business leader, whether you're an employer or whether you're a father or whether you're a husband. We at Weavertown need to learn, to aspire to learn, to achieve leadership in a way that is with. Let's make that one of our goals for 2022. I've got a lot to learn about that. Companion leadership. The saints with the overseers and deacons. You know, one of the ways that we find ourselves in trouble relationally with others is when there's friction. You know, the science of friction, there's static friction and kinetic friction. And friction happens in one of those two ways. Friction can happen when one object is not moving and the other object is moving. And when they touch each other, it creates friction, even to the point of heat being caused or wear being caused. The other kind of friction is when both objects are moving, but they're moving in opposite directions, or perhaps one object is moving much faster than the other. That's what causes friction. When both when both objects are moving in a similar pace, a similar speed, and a similar direction, there is little or no friction. And I know that it's easy for us to think that we are the ones that are moving in the right direction, and they are not moving in the right direction. But the truth is, we're not always moving in the right direction. And it's important for us in 2022 to understand that, to realize that, to reach out to the body, to get direction from the community, to think about ways that we can lead and work in a way that is with, so as to prevent friction and heat in our congregation. And I think that brings us to the next aspect of fellowship, and that is the aspect of diversity that's talked about here. And I'd like to especially notice, have you noticed in verses 7 and 8, how Paul points out a spirit of gratefulness as he thinks about them. And I'd like for us to, to think about that as we think about relationships in 2022 here at Weavertown. When we think about relationships and we think about diversity, it's easier for us to, be get, to become sort of wadded up or to become tangled in our differences. But Paul overcomes that with a spirit of gratitude. 
And I encourage you to think about the differences that may have existed at the church at Philippi. And just for interesting, read Acts 16. Read about the different kinds of believers in that first church. And he says that this is something that was present with the church at Philippi from the first day, he says. And it has lasted until now. That's a great goal for Weavertown. Most people, most of us, have no problem loving people that agree with us. That think like we do. But the assignment to love is much more difficult when it comes to people who disagree with us, who take a different approach than we do, who think differently, or have perhaps even in some cases have little in common with us. Fellowship can be a great challenge in that context. And Paul thanks God here in verses 3 to 6 and the verses in 7 and 8 for the fellowship among them from the first day until now. Great testimony. These believers were bound together by love, and it was especially bound by God's love. And Paul is grateful for that. I think we need to work here at Weavertown. We need to work, continue to work at being more like Paul, where he expresses his love. His love is spoken. His gratitude for the people around him are expressed. In verses three, he, in verse three, he thanks God upon every remembrance of you. In verse seven, he says, "I have you always in my heart." In verse eight, he says, "How greatly I long for you." <clears throat> Gratitude is one of the pervasive themes in Paul's life. If you do a character study on the life of Paul, you are actually doing one of the things. One of the points of Paul's character was his gratitude. For instance, in First Corinthians chapter one, verse four. And I've taken these passages from the New American Standard Bible. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. In Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 3, I thank God, as without ceasing, I remember you. And Philemon 4, he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. What an illustration for us here in 2022. How can Christians learn to practice this kind of love? I think one thing is that we need to discipline ourselves to think correctly about love in the first place. Christian love is not something that we work up inside of ourselves. Christian love is not something that comes from ourselves. It's something that is placed in our heart by God. The impact of the Holy Spirit is what makes it possible. It is God that works through us. It is not us working through God. It's the opposite. God working through us. Maybe we need to spend less time wondering whether we love other people. And perhaps we need to just start thinking about behaving as if we did love them. I think it's been well said 
that actions and deeds precede the feelings that follow. And in our relationships here at Weavertown 2022, perhaps I, we, need to practice love. And in turn, the feelings will follow. Too often, I'm inclined to wait for the feelings or to wait to practice until the feelings are there. And in some cases, the feelings never come. <clears throat> I think it's true that we're often challenged by the Christ-likeness in others. If you look around here this morning, people in your small groups, people your age, people much older than you, you're challenged by Christ-likeness in others. We're challenged by that. And I'm convinced that it's also the unchrist-likeness that we see in each other that motivates us and inspires us. Perhaps almost similarly to the Christ-likeness that we see in others. We learn from each other diversity. And it can often cause us to teach us lessons and causes us to be motivated toward that level of maturity. A man by the name of Judson Edwards writes this little uh, writing with humor, and he's talking about diversity, and he says this, if everybody were just like me, the world would surely be a better place. There would be no murderers, for I am not violent. There would be no stealing, for I am not a thief. No adultery, for I am happily wed. No atheism, for I believe in God. There would be no ignorance, for I've been to school. If only the world was more like me, surely it would be a better place to be. Or would it? For if everybody were just like me, there would be no merry-go-rounds, for I get dizzy. No clowns, for I am self-conscious. No doctors, for I hate blood. No painters, for I am colorblind. No mechanics, for I can't fix anything. No elevator operators, because I am claustrophobic. No home run hitters, for I can't hit a curve. No balloon riders, for I am afraid of heights. Come to think of it, if the world were just like me, the world would be an awfully boring place to be. In verses 9 to 11 now, Paul delves into a prayer for the Philippians. I think it's one of the greatest prayers recorded anywhere in the Bible. Certainly one of Paul's greatest prayers. And I'd like to leave it here with you at the end of this sermon and at the beginning of this new year. Four aspects, four particulars, four prayers, ways to pray in 2022. My prayer is that this prayer would be my own, that it would be our own. 
My prayer is that it would be our prayer here at Weavertown in 2022. Number one, he prayers for growth and dedication. Growth and dedication. He says that your love may abound. No matter how deep their love already was, and he points out their connectedness to each other. He affirms their community and their connection that they had for each other. He embraces it. He lifts it up. He immortalizes it here in Scripture. This was a church that worked well together. They had a lot of things going for them. There was a community of caring and concern and compassion. In chapter 3 and in other places throughout the book of Philippians, he points out how they were poured out for each other. They literally were willing to sacrifice for each other, and they did. But here he says that they should pray that their love would abound more and more. He prayed that their love for each other would deepen and intensify. Love that would reach out to more people than it already does. The Greek word here for abound, and the Greek is such a picturesque language. It generally speaks in illustrations or in word pictures. The Greek word for abound carries the word picture of a bucket under a waterfall. It just spills out, almost as if the bucket weren't there. Because the bucket can't possibly contain the downpour that's coming into it. The prayer here is that their love would abound more and more. And that not only talks about the extent of their love, but it goes beyond that and speaks of the effectiveness of their love. To reach love that reaches its full potential. There's another part yet here that Paul addresses, and that is for their love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. You know, water is a wonderful thing. It's one of the basic necessities of life. But water can also be very destructive if it's at places that it's not intended to be. For instance, in a river, there are banks, generally two. And when the water stays in those banks, it, it can be a, a tourist attraction. It, it can do all kinds of amazing things for the, the, the yeah, for the geology in that area. And maybe that's sort of how it is in this area of knowledge and discernment. Two banks. Knowledge is a word that's used around 20 times in the New Testament, and it always, nearly always, I think if not, in fact, always carries the idea of knowing about God and spiritual things. When the word knowledge appears in the New Testament, it talks about not knowing about things as much as knowing about God or understanding, have a correct understanding of God. Discernment moves beyond that and it becomes an application of that skill or that knowledge. 
We need that here at Weavertown. I need that as a pastor. Knowing how to love and how to love when. Let's pray that our fellowship here at Weavertown, our love for each other would abound yet more and more in all knowledge and discernment. In verse 10, the second aspect continues on that. Paul prays for growth and discernment that you may prove that you may approve the things that are excellent. You know, it doesn't take much discernment. It doesn't take particularly much discernment to choose between good and evil. Most of the time, we're in pretty good shape in that way. We're built in with this. Yeah, as human beings, we have a, a strong sense of what's right and wrong, what's just and unjust. A little child has an understanding of what's fair and not fair. But it takes much discernment, a lot of discernment, to choose between good and excellent. And it is something that we spend lots of time throughout our year, whether we're aware of it or not, to choose between good and excellent. And here Paul challenges them to approve things, to follow after things that are excellent. Besides that, in a fellowship like ours here at Weavertown, in a congregation, it requires working together. It requires being vulnerable to test and critique and things like that. And the word that's translated here, approve, is the word picture of the testing of metals. The checking of whether or not the metal is genuine or if it's fake. The checking to see whether or not the metal is strong or not strong. To see whether the metal will stand the test of time. And I think one of the ultimate spiritual, one of the ultimate signs of spiritual maturity is the level of discrimination that governs our lives. And that's often built on a body of experience. And we, turn, we tend to discern, use our discernment based on past habits or practices and experiences that we've had in our lives. And as we mature in our walk with God, I think there should be continual evidence of rejection of attitudes that are not what they ought to be, practices that we once practiced but no longer do. There should be evidence of things that we used to do but no longer do because of our growth in Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is described as proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray for each other here at Weavertown that God would help us to do this in 2022, to grow in spiritual discernment, to move beyond what is important to things that are necessary, to seek the excellent rather than the good. The third aspect of Paul's prayer here 
is growth and development, that you may be sincere. And it goes in that same um, idea as the second point here. And it talks about sincerity as compared to hypocrisy. An absence of double-mindedness, of double thinking and double living. An absence of deceit. Paul's prayer here was that they would be real. That what you see is what you actually get. They would be genuine and sincere in their lifestyle. His prayer for them was that they would be who they really are. All the way to the core. That what comes out of their life would be demonstrative of their character that's going on inside of them. The Greek word for sincere means without wax. It's also used in other places in the New Testament as unpainted or unfeigned. The idea is of having on a wax or having on an, or something on the outside that covers up the problems on the inside. The idea of looking good so that what's inside is not noticed. Don't let your life be one thing on the inside and something different on the outside. Don't let your life be a phony, a fraud, a fake. Don't let your life be mixed. That ye may be sincere. Let's pray earnestly that God will take away all hypocrisy from our midst. Whatever hypocrisy exists here at Weavertown, let's pray that there would be no double living. Let's pray that God would take away the things from our lives that cause us to be able to live in that hypocrisy. The fourth aspect here in this prayer is for growth and deportment. And I know that deportment is sort of an old word. I sort of needed a D word anyway. But I remember in the early years in grade school, the report cards that I brought home to mom and dad had my grades on one side. And on the other side, there was this category called deportment. And it seemed like mom and dad were especially interested in that side my behavior. And deportment actually carries a greater, an equal level of attitude as it does behavior. And the prayer here is that their behavior would bring spiritual harvest, that what they do would produce fruit. He says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Certainly, God wants us to bear fruit. We can see at various passages and throughout the Bible that this is actually so. What fruit does God want from us? In Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruit of the Spirit. These are fruit that are born, that are automatic, could you say, that are natural for a person who has the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 1 verse 13 says that full soul winning is one of the, the fruits that our lives will bring. Romans chapter 6 verse 22, it says that holiness is called a fruit 
It is something that's born out of our lives. Good works are listed in Colossians chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, it says that praise is the fruit of our lips. And it goes on in verse 16 in that passage, and it says that sharing or generosity is one of the fruits that our lives will bear. Think about it this way. Fruit trees don't make any noise when they're producing fruit. Fruit trees don't call attention to themselves as they're producing the fruit. It's something that's natural and normal because they are a fruit tree. They bear the fruit of their name. The difference between joyous Christian fellowship and religious activity is the fruit. And Paul, I think, applauds the Philippians for not calling attention to what they were doing. Whenever we do something in our own strength, we have a tendency to want to call attention to it. We want people to notice. We want to use what we're doing as a way of getting credit or taking credit for ourselves. But the glory of our fruit needs to reflect the work of Christ in us. Let's pray passionately that our lives at Weavertown would be filled with fruits of righteousness that come by Jesus Christ. As I close, I want us to notice the repeated phrase in our text. There's a phrase that refers to the future. In verse 6 and 10, he talks about the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming again. It's one of the surest things that the Bible tells us in both the Old and New Testament. Jesus is coming back. And we'd better be ready. We can't leave things undone today, the Bible tells us, because we need to be ready. If there's things that need to be taken care of, don't put it off until tomorrow. We need to live our lives and we need to point ourselves like steel in a direction that points us to a realization of that understanding and that belief that Jesus is coming again and I'd better be ready. There'd better be enough of oil in my lamp. He's coming back. These past weeks, we celebrated his first coming, Christmas. It's just in our recent rearview mirror here. More and more, I've been fascinated with the term Advent for different reasons. And you know, as I think of it, one of the most compelling proofs that Jesus is coming back is that he came the first time. The fact that he came to Bethlehem as a baby gives evidence that it is, he is surely coming back as a king and a judge someday. 
And many of the prophecies include both aspects. You read through the Old Testament and you, you see clear prophecies that talk about his first coming. But in that same prophecy, there are other prophecies that talk about his second coming. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. We'd better be ready. As we walk through the corridors of 2022, my prayer for us here at Weavertown is that we'd be ready for his return. Are you ready? If Christ comes back in 2022, do you have what it takes? Are you ready for his return? Is Christ Lord in your life? Or are there things that are still undone, that are still not covered by the blood? Is there anything that needs to be made right? And if so, why wait? What is there to lose? What is to be gained by not going the whole way with grace? I think if these verses teach us anything, it teaches us that we can trust him. He is there. Like verse 6 says, he's going to finish what he started. He is willing, he is able to do way more than we're able to ask or think, it says in another verse. We're confident in this very thing, that he has started this work and he's going to complete it. That is my prayer. For us, for me personally, and for us here as a congregation. <clears throat> if you're able, I invite you to kneel for prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to gather. And as we assembled here this morning, I pray that this service would have been a means of drawing our attention to you and to your word. The scriptures that are spoken to your people throughout all time. And I pray, Lord, that you would put in all of us a motivation and a heart to follow you. To have our focus on attention on things that are eternal. To have our attention on focus and things that matter and are important. Ask, Lord, for your, your direction, guidance, wisdom in all of that. And as we walk through this next year, may you give us here at Weavertown a desire to follow you and to realize that one day you will come again and that you will come again one day and you will call those who are ready to be with you forever. And I pray that that would be the testimony of all of us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.